Nature is a temple where the living columns sometimes breathe confusing speech. Man walks within these groves of symbols, each of which regards him as a kindred thing. As the long echoes, shadowy, profound, heard from afar, blend in a unity, vast as the night, as sunlight's clarity, so perfumes, colors, sounds may correspond. Odors there are, fresh as a baby's skin, mellow as oboes, green as meadow grass, others corrupted, rich, triumphant, full. Having dimensions infinitely vast, frankincense, musk, ambergris, benjamin, singing the senses' rapture and the souls. We did it, I'm so excited. We memorized a poem. Yeah, and it's much harder to recite with the microphone and the cameras because it feels like there's stakes, it feels like we're walking a tightrope, mm -hmm. and I almost forgot the last line, but I'm, I'm thankful I remembered it. It's a poem from The Flowers of Evil by Charles, Charles Baudelaire, and we thought that, I guess somewhat uh, thematically, but mostly just the matter of us memorizing it is kind of on theme for this episode in which we're talking about music, partially mm. as an educational tool. Poetry, that's kind of like music, isn't it? They're almost the exact same thing. One just has a melody. The other still has a melody, I suppose. There's a rhythm. A rhythm. Right. It's a better word. So we're going to talk about how music can be used as an educational tool in the Solocene. And then later on, we're going to talk about nature in the Solocene education system and how we'll integrate our lessons with the leaves. Right. Okay, so with music, I wanted to start by pulling up all the statistics about how music is beneficial for education. But as is often the case with this podcast, it just seems obvious. It just mm -hmm. seems mildly redundant. It's like it helps your memory. It helps your um, critical thinking. Mm -hmm. It helps your creativity, helps your confidence, mm -hmm. all these tools which are beneficial for learning. Music helps. And I feel like we know this intuitively because we mm -hmm. teach young children through music almost Almost primarily. Yeah, for and, sure. And I thought you could maybe share a, an experience that you have with that child that you know. The child I know? Yeah. I don't know which experience. With music. Well, I feel like the thing with kids is when you teach them a song, they just get obsessed with it. And sometimes before they even know how to talk, they'll know rhythms and stuff and be able to <laughs> recite them. You'll say, hey, remember this song? And they'll just start like humming it or like <laughs> bopping it, but they don't actually know how to pronounce words yet. And then yeah. they still manage to reproduce songs and I feel like that's just how our brains work because they're developing when you're a kid you're developing like all of the fine motor skills and music's almost a fine motor skill in that it's uh it lights up a bunch of different parts of your brain because even when you have to find a letter in the alphabet do you still sing through the alphabet in your head you would have to find one yeah like if you're like oh what does l come after yeah you still kind of go a b c d and mm -hmm. then like go through them mm -hmm. yeah well, it's all those beneficial things packaged into a catchy and fun little thing. Mm -hmm. It's like a superfood. Yes. But I was thinking of um, the child that you know who's always dancing along to music, and you mentioned that the the humming and like the musical recognition even before language, mm -hmm. it's almost creepy. It's almost a supernatural ability that yeah. <laughs> babies have. It's like, why are you singing along to this? You don't mm -hmm. you don't know language yet. But I, I think that that speaks to its kind of uh, primordial and educational essence and i had a quote related to music because the other side of just listening to music is moving to it is dance mm -hmm. and it's a quote that says there is no greater educational gift than that of self-reflection and self-discovery because a person who knows who they are is valuable to the community 
And it's a quote from the artistic director of dance at a group called Arts Umbrella. Mm, cool. Because I think when you hear this question about music as education, you think about like School of Rock, oh, someone's teaching the times tables in a song or teaching mm -hmm. the alphabet in a song. But it's not just the the lessons that you can impart through music. I think it's also the lesson in music that's important to discuss mm -hmm. uh, in the solo scene. Yeah, for sure. The confidence aspect is crucial because there aren't many other ways that we're able to develop confidence at a young age because you almost don't know what confidence is, mm -hmm. but then you learn it through the experience of performing at a Christmas concert or doing a dance recital or whatever. And it's like, there's no right or wrong, but it's still building up that foundation of, I went on stage, I did this thing, people clapped. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be on stage. And I don't even know if confidence is a big enough word to describe what it is. Because mm -hmm. I suppose it's a type of confidence, but it's almost more like learning how to move in the world. Mm -hmm. Dance is like that. Because when you listen to a song, that's like the rhythm of the whole world or the living world mm -hmm. in that moment. Because we say that music decorates time. Mm -hmm. So when you dance, it's like you are decorating time with your body. Mm -hmm. Or when you sing. It's like that. And I think that's a that's a really nice thought. How do you think it can relate to education in like a almost standardized way? How can it be used as a teaching tool in the solo scene? I imagine there being music lessons as there are in elementary school, yeah. but all throughout, even perhaps into university. And obviously you can get a bit more specialized. You start out, everyone does the recorder or whatever it is, but then you find out that you love the standing bass and then you get really good at the bass but i think allowing people to always have the space and the resources and the time to explore like a specific musical skill but i also imagine the solo scene that music will just be the norm like you come in in the morning everyone's kind of singing <laughs> there's recess you're playing like those skipping songs a bit more just commonplace. Right. Because music is super, super common in school. Mm. Kids sing on the playground and they sing their times tables or whatever it is that they're doing. But I think it could be even more communal. So each year you learn a set of songs, perhaps they're folk songs, perhaps they're pop songs, whatever, but you all learn them. Because then you have that shared like, database of creativity. And I think also I see them being used to teach poetry and that also fitting into this foundational, like, creative database. I don't know what to call it other than that. But something that you can draw on from your memory when you're trying to come up with a poem of your own. Or you're trying to, oh, we have this fun project that we get to do whatever we want. Let's pick one of those songs, like, rewrite the lyrics or whatever. But it's like when you learn the dances in school. And, like, you all learned the Cotton Eye Joe. Or you all learned, like, those line dances. Mm -hmm. And it's then, like... We all know them. So no one's really left behind and you can draw on them for other fun activities. Exactly. And I'm glad that eight minutes into the episode, you tied our opening poem Thank you. To, the, to the lesson because we didn't really do a good job of doing that. But yeah, we, <laughs> we basically kind of acknowledge um, together that neither of us knows any poems mm -hmm. by heart. So we thought, let's change that. Yes. And kind of difficult. A little but bit. I imagine it will get easier as we go. Just as I imagined learning my first song was, was quite hard. Yeah. Lyrically, I mean, I don't play any instruments, but the amount mm -hmm. of songs that we know the, all the words to, mm -hmm. sometimes as we've touched on in previous episodes, even without trying, even without wanting to, perhaps, is, uh, is quite a feat compared to the 
limits of our memory in other areas of life, it seems. There's something, I don't know the science behind it, but it's wild that you can hear a song you haven't heard in five, ten years, and you know all the words still. I was trying to think of examples for the episode of songs that I learned that I still call on. I remember I learned all the books of the Bible in a song, Mm -hmm. and I don't know the whole song still, but I still use it to remember the order of the books of the Bible, obviously the ABCs, and the periodic table song I also knew. That's how I learned all the periodic. (laughs) <laughs> the elements on the table was yeah. from a song. And I still, like, probably eight years later, can still recall them, which is, it doesn't even make sense. I can't recall anything else in that time <laughs> in my life, but I remember those songs that I learned. No, I think it's a very powerful tool. Mm-hmm. I will say I think those specific use cases are quite limited because there are only so many periodic tables, mm-hmm. and it's hard to learn exactly. Like, you could say, okay, well, we're learning chemistry through music, mm-hmm. but you don't actually know anything about boron, yeah. that it's fifth or whatever. Yes. So I do think it's limited in that regard. But I'm I'm also interested in the playground singing that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And we were discussing the other day the clapping games Yes. that especially girls tend to play on the playground. And I was like, why why do people do that? Yeah. And it's kind of, it's just a way of, as I said, dancing and singing is like you're plugging into the rhythm of the moment. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. And you're testing how how in tune you can both get into it. Yeah. It's like a it's a cool synchronicity, but it's it's uh very sensorial, if that's a word. Sensorial? Yeah, because I feel like a lot of the other games you might play with your friends when you're growing up would be, okay, we're gonna play hide and seek, we're gonna play tag, and they're all physical, but they're physical, physical. Yeah, and for one thing they're competitive. Yeah. This one is collaborative. Exactly. Like music isn't isn't really competitive. Exactly. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because there's not much we do together that isn't competitive, as we found trying to find board games to play together. That's true. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, true. Yeah, definitely. As a creative activity that isn't competitive, and it allows you to, yeah, you like making music. Just you're decorating the time and the space, and you're engaging so many senses at once that we never get to do that. It seems. Yeah, you were talking also about. Recently, oh, you want to resume ballet, which is something you did mm-hmm. a lot when you were younger. And I was actually thinking that for some reason a couple of weeks ago. I thought, you know what, one day I would really love to learn how to dance, a mm-hmm. real formal dance. And I do think that's a failing, I mean, all sorts, sports, um, arts groups, but also music. It's, it's a very difficult thing to either continue or pick up mm-hmm. as an adult. And I do think that's something the solo scene will have ample opportunities to do that in a real casual setting, you know, you know as an adult, it's either you do it by yourself as a hobby or you do mm-hmm. it professionally. There isn't yeah. really anything in between. But I think in the solo scene, there will be those spaces for, okay, there's just the adult ballet class that goes on. And the thing is, I feel like with my apprehension to join an adult ballet class, for example, is that I feel like it'll be a bunch of people who maybe never danced or who are really, really casual. But I'm like, I still crave that formality that I had as a child, the like, none of us were going to become professionals, but our teacher, she really, she acted as if we were. Well, yeah, the feeling of seriousness, the feeling yeah. of self-improvement, mm-hmm. the feeling of struggling against something. I agree, mm-hmm. most or many adult groups are very, very... Uh, casual. Casual. Because I joined an adult soccer team a couple summers ago. Right. And it was all mums, and they were like, <laughs> and they were just like, they'd drink beforehand or something, and I'd be like, I want to play soccer, I don't want to like... This isn't just okay. No, no criticizing the current song. <laughs> we're we're eulogizing about the true, or we're true. we're painting the solo scene. Yes, seriousness, but not like 
Karate Kid style. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Another maybe more concrete educational benefit that I thought about with music was oral storytelling, mm-hmm. oral poetry, and that as a way of passing on his history, basically. Like yeah. Very niche, maybe familial or cultural uh, folk stories, mm-hmm. but also genuine history. Yeah. And this used to be the norm, talking mm-hmm. in ancient times, of course, it isn't now. But I think there's an element of that there are some types of facts and some types of information that if they're not preserved in this rather performative way, mm-hmm. singing around a campfire or spoken by a bard, mm-hmm. I still think we should have bard. The solo scene will have bards, let me put okay. it like that. Thank you. Then I just don't think they get preserved. You could say, well, those things are written now or they're digitized now, but I don't mm-hmm. think they, they all are. Yeah, because preservation in a book is very different from preservation in your consciousness. Mm. Because you're going to be like trying to make a decision and call on previous experiences of other generations. But if it's just in a book somewhere, you don't know to call on it. But if it's in your semi-conscious memory, then it, it'll influence you. Well, this is the case with languages as well. There are mm-hmm. some languages which are dead, but not mm-hmm. technically dead because they are written down. So yeah. you could learn them, but no one speaks them. Yeah, I was going to use an example. My sister took a Gaelic class this year. Yes. And she said every single class, the teacher would sing a song for them at the beginning. And then obviously over the 12 weeks, everyone learned the song. Then they would all sing it together. And it was in Gaelic. And she didn't learn any Gaelic other than the song because it's a complicated language to learn in a single semester, obviously. But she knows some Gaelic now from that class or from the little catchy things that the teacher would sing. And I think, yeah, using music as a tool to learn languages is, is underused. I mean, we were watching Pokemon in French. Mm-hmm. And it has taught me a weird amount, mm-hmm. the title song. Because mm-hmm. now I know it in French because I knew it in English. Mm-hmm. And it, like, it's genuinely taught me something about grammar and vocabulary. Yeah. Which, from actually watching several episodes of the show itself, mm-hmm. which is not musical, it hasn't taught me that much. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like, Frere Jacques, you know... Happy birthday in French, all of these songs that doesn't even make sense that you know them mm. or that your parents even taught them to you in French for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about religion as well because one of the things that I find most beautiful about religion, which is almost universal, is the music that's inherent to sharing the, the feeling. Mm-hmm. And it's almost to a point, I mean, I know kind of musical theorists and people who are serious about complexity of songs might turn their nose up at like Christian, like worship music or something like Mm -hmm. that because of its overwhelming simplicity. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's something to everybody not having um, been acquainted with a song before Mm -hmm. and knowing it almost immediately. This is what I'm saying about you're kind of plugging into the same rhythm. Mm -hmm. And the educational aspect of that, I suppose, is where you learn lyrics, which is a cool thing, Mm -hmm. but also you remember the experience. And I think that one definition of learning could just be memory yeah remembering things i agree so it's like if you are making a memory then you're learning that time yeah for sure and i had an idea for the solo scene which goes along with that and that is each class having a theme song because i feel like if you went into the class and sort of like this gaelic class i was talking about but there was a theme song it would almost like kick your brain into that mode so it's like the science theme song and then you all sing it or you listen to it even or there's this type of music playing in the background and then your mu- the music connects you to that memory of the experience. Because you might not remember what you learned in class that day, but you can kind of like 
go back there and like relearn it. Mm. So that's how our brains work. As long as you can like enter the memory, that, no, that's it. That you it. can then kind of go it's, through the memory. And, and the, the song is your entry point. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about Bill Nye. Yeah. Like I can say that, and you know the song. It's true. And maybe through that song, you start to remember some other episodes. That yeah. Were in it. And I, I also wanted to mention national anthems, the idea of playing those in school as the current, well, I guess that's critical, but as the current uh, <laughs> presence of music in the classroom, I don't like that so much. So I do like the, the school theme tune, yeah. or the classroom theme tune. I think that's really nice. Yeah. Hogwarts has a theme song. They do. Every year it's new. It's like Inception, too, the kit. They play the song, and then you know you're dreaming. So it's <laughs> the opposite of that. You play the song, and you know you're in class. And what you said about the science song, putting your brain in the science mode, mm-hmm. I was thinking that more broadly as music as kind of a setting the tone, either for education mm-hmm. or just for a for a certain type of atmosphere, ambiance, mm-hmm. spirit that you want to create. Yeah. And I was thinking how funny it is that we, we do this, we take it for granted again, just like with education, that um, this is the case for children's music. Mm-hmm. because it's like, well, we're going to play them the lullaby so they'll fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to play them the wiggles because it's positive and there's bright colors and it's going to make them smile. Mm-hmm. But then when it comes to adults, we don't put much thought into the things that we listen to. Mm-hmm. And we even listen to them, I would say, closer and more often than babies do. I mean, mm-hmm. we put headphones in, so it's like we're literally just plugging the music into our brains. Yeah, And we don't really consider too strongly what kind of rhythms, what kind of lyrics, what kind of... Uh, feelings we're putting in there Mm -hmm. but i think for children if you were to play like a six month old Mm -hmm. really loud like heavy metal Mm -hmm. people would say no don't do that that's bad for them yeah but we don't put that and i'm not saying that heavy metal is bad for adults i'm saying that Mm -hmm. we don't even consider whether it is for the most Mm -hmm. part and i think that in the solo scene listeners will be more concentrated more aware and more Mm -hmm. critical about and more more purposeful i suppose about what we're listening to I agree. What kind of sounds do you think could kind of set a tone for education? Because along these lines, I was also thinking we could have music in the streets mm. and more live music. Yeah. And maybe music in the classroom, like you said, but just playing in the background softly. Yeah. What kind of, what kind of sounds would you like in the classroom? Hmm. I think fun, like upbeat, skippy songs. I don't know how to describe it other than that. Like Wiggles music for the... The moments of like exhale, the moments of excitement that the kids are having because there's, sorry, this is a tangent, but the Waldorf education method has this thing that they call rhythm of the day. So they always try to like breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, breathe out. And so like a breathe in is when they're like sitting in a circle, reading, like learning, absorbing, then the next activity would be a breathe out. So it's like getting their energy, running around, playing tag, doing a play. And a breathe in and a breathe out. So I think the music kind of going along with those in schools in particular. So in the morning, there's like some kind of excited music. Then it slowly merges to calm and then goes back and forth. But then just in the streets, I feel like nothing overwhelming. I always don't like when you walk by a shop and they're like blaring music. No, no, I don't mean like that. Yeah. I mean, like, imagine there's no cars. So already mm-hmm. the sound is taken down. Yeah, just like someone playing a flute on the street or yeah, a guitar imagine or something. That. Imagine a flute. Yeah. Because I like when, I love when there's street performers. Yeah. Especially when it's quiet, there aren't cars, and it kind of fills the street. You hear it from afar, mm-hmm. draws you into an area. Yeah. And. Dances as well is really cool. Yeah, like it can really be whatever instrument. I've liked when I've heard people playing the, not the trumpet, 
the saxophone on yep. the street is really nice. Yep. And so it just kind of depends on the mood of the place because you don't want a saxophone in like a hospital. Hmm. But in a hospital, maybe you would like some kind of classical music or something a bit more like chimey. Probably not the wiggles. Probably not. Although the they have their new their new um, sound that I was yeah. playing for you. Remember their, like their cover album? Yeah. If the listeners want to check out a neat version of Bohemian Rhapsody, the Wiggles the covered wiggles it. Cover. Don't worry. I'm not the biggest fan, but it's it's different. <laughs> um, probably most students in 2022's um, immediate thought when we hear about music and education is putting on a playlist in YouTube while we work on an exam or work mm -hmm. on an essay, study, yes. do our readings, whatever it may be. What do you think about that? The lo-fi beats to chill slash study jam. That's, that's one flavor of it. It's whatever. <laughs> I think I like the lo-fi beats for studying because I think they get your brain into a flow state. And I think maybe that's not your thing. Mm. Like, obviously, everyone has different. But I think if that is your thing, it should be an option to listen to when you're studying. I don't think we should subject an entire class to it. No, okay, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? So I think it should be slightly optional, slightly... Like we shouldn't go to school or university and have music playing constantly in the background. I think it. I think it depends on the class. If a teacher's giving yeah. a lecture, then yeah. I think that would just be annoying. Or if there's a mm -hmm. production or the students giving a presentation or whatever mm -hmm. it may be. But if there is a study hall, mm -hmm. then I think that's a that's a neat idea. Yeah. Like I envision in Hogwarts as a study hall where they all go and just kind of do their work. Yeah. I think if there was someone there with a maybe not a flute but maybe just a little violin, yeah, just a little. Yeah, a bit of that. and I think definitely encouraging the kids to the people like to just have more performance. So say you're giving a class presentation, you say, we're going to open with this little jingle we wrote to represent the organism of the week or whatever it is that they're pre presenting. Was it a deliberate uh, transition? It wasn't, but I feel like it might work really well. I also like the idea of having a jingle for the organism. Yeah. The next one? week? I don't think I can write a jingle. Okay, <laughs> so the question I did have for next week that was brought to my mind was how to keep the mind fresh when you're aging. Mm. Because I feel like in the series so far, we've talked a lot about young people, even today with the education, mm -hmm. uh, with the music, we're talking a lot about young people, but how can we keep it, keep it sharp? Yeah. Speaking of the organism of the week, though, the organism of the week for this week is the black-capped chickadee. I Ryan. love chickadees. Apologies for the somewhat cursed uh, drawing. <laughs> the, cursed the thing image. was that I didn't draw the the breast full enough. So this is supposed to be rounder. Yes. Made it a little bit too angular. I think mm. from some angles it kind of reminds me of a whale. It does. We've got the blue here. But anyway, this is the bird. If you are from North America, anywhere, you probably know it pretty well because it's far from threatened. They're very common birds, which mm -hmm. is the reason I chose it because this is an organism I have kind of an emotional attachment to, which mm -hmm. sounds kind of weird. Mm -hmm. But just bear with me a second, because I'm going to play the theme tune for the black-capped chickadee. Sweet. I love how the chickadees rain in each spring, and I'm assuming that's what you mean by the emotional connection. Hopefully that sound comes through. It's not exactly the most pleasant bird song, but I think that's why I like it, because in university, I took a course about all the birds in Nova Scotia, mm -hmm. which is mostly just all the birds in North America, mm -hmm. or rural North America. 
And for some reason, I had to memorize all their songs and just a bunch of things about them that I've forgotten for the most part. But I remember the Black Cap Chickadee because that song is ever present in my mind and it mm -hmm. reminds me a lot of Nova Scotia. So it's like when people say that smells have a strong memory. I think mm -hmm. certain, as you were saying, with songs as well, you never forget them. Mm -hmm. That counts as a song. Yeah. Um, the official or like unofficial nickname for it is the Phoebe song. Phoebe song? Yeah, because when you are learning bird songs, the way that they kind of categorize them is almost phonetically like that. So they'll call it Phoebe. Oh, uh, cool. Mm -hmm. Like that. I probably didn't nail the, the pitch. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the black-capped chickadee, Latin name Poesil etricapillus. It is 12 to 15 centimeters long, which I just find funny. Yeah. 9 to 14 grams. <laughs> <laughs> um, it eats insects, especially caterpillars, seeds, berries. It's non-migratory, but during the winter, it has this special or somewhat unique among birds ability to really lower its temperature. Oh. Yeah. I just assumed they migrated, I guess, because you don't see them during the winter. They slow down. Slow down, just hang out. Yeah, they don't migrate, but they tend to move a little bit south, but it's still in, in their range. Mm -hmm. And they flock together a lot more in the winter. Cool. Something, I guess, regarding education or memory is that they can remember their food locations, their little stashes, for up to 28 days. Wow. And in the first 24 hours of those 28 days, they can remember exactly the quantities of what? what's in each stash. I think it's pretty crazy. Smart little guys. They are. They are the state bird of Maine and Massachusetts, mm. the provincial bird of New Brunswick. Ah. I think it was 2015, Vancouver chose them as their city bird. <laughs> I guess they choose a different one every year. Um, as I said, they live all over North America. And a question that I had, these guys, I mean, the tie-in is obvious because they are music as well as nature, mm -hmm. birds in general. What do we learn from birdsong? What's your connection to it? Do you like it? I do like bird song. I feel like it's a community song. They all sing together. Because, yeah, they use it to communicate, but they also just sometimes, I think, just sing for the sake of it. And I feel like we can learn from that a bit. That's true. Yeah. What, because, if, what if humans, what if we each had our own song that we just kept repeating? Just yeah. a few notes. We kind of do that. Do we? I feel like we hum little melodies. You get songs stuck in your head. What would be yours? What would my melody be? The first thing that comes to mind is the little like Zelda puzzle theme, but I'll think that would actually be mine. <laughs> Do -do 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 -do. Sure. Maybe I'll take that one. The second question of today was how can we learn in the natural world? I would admit that I expanded this question a little bit to be kind of what can we learn from the natural world as well. Mm -hmm. But mostly I was trying to think of learning other things unrelated to nature, in nature. Why is it helpful? Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I had quite a few thoughts because... Yeah, obviously you can go out into nature, learn about foraging, learn about the natural history of the land and stuff. But that's perhaps not even worthy of a discussion because it's well, quite it obvious. Saying, but I do think yeah. it's, I mean, we, let's start with that. So mm -hmm. in the solar scene, mm -hmm. there is more of an emphasis on natural education mm -hmm. because there's more of an emphasis on nature. Yeah. Because we spend more time in nature because our urban and rural landscapes aren't so disparate. Because we are relying less and less on corporations for certain products and services. We're doing it more ourselves, mm -hmm. straight from the resources. So this includes a knowledge of sustainability, mm -hmm. obviously, which means seeing how things are supposed to be. Because mm -hmm. I think often when we learn about sustainability right now, it's in a classroom. And all we learn about is 
adaptation and mitigation. Yeah, and, yeah. and images of how things have gone wrong. Mm -hmm. But spending time in nature is very important because you see how things are meant to be. Yes. So we're also learning about the flora and the fauna, especially about local places, because mm -hmm. that helps build community. Yeah. Dyes, foraging, mm -hmm. things like that. Ecosystems. Yeah. And I was also thinking that spending time in nature when learning gives you a, the purest sense, in my opinion, of aesthetics, because no man-made style, mm -hmm. architectural, fashion, painting, whatever it may be, is as timeless and universal, mm -hmm. creative, just feeling right, as is nature's style. Yeah, and I think that's a good lead into what we can learn from nature and looking at it and like using a type of biomimicry, I think, in our mm. relations, in our design, in our problem solving. Oh, I saw that this bug actually, they leave a little trail when they walked and they know where they came from. So maybe I can use that when I'm developing this new system for bikes in the town. Like, I feel like just observing nature gives you ideas. Yep. Even if you have no, like, you're not a person who normally has ideas. If you're forced to go camping for a week, you're going to have some ideas. Mm -hmm. And it's natural. It's like, I feel like most religions have this concept of like God revealing himself through nature mm. in different ways. It's like phrased, obviously, but it's like you could have never heard that there's anything divine, but then you, but just looking at nature, it makes you think there, there's something bigger. And I feel like that's the same with just life. It's like you can observe nature and you think my purpose is like bigger than myself. My relationships are important and it just like is a mirror that like reflects what we need to see and I feel like it's not like oh you need nature education one year in your 12 years of school it's like you could go out every single year do the exact same course and get something new from it yeah I think you're touching on awe awe yes like the the sense of wonder mm -hmm. the sense of romance yeah we were recently um you went to the mall shopping mall mm -hmm. and we're kind of lamenting the experience. Yeah. Because saying, oh, it's, I mean, it's kind of dead. It's a little bit depressing. It's boring. The stores are not well designed. It's not mm -hmm. a fun experience to traverse outside the stores. There's no water fountains. Yeah. Um, it's very hot. It's mm -hmm. uncomfortable. And that was making us talk about the benefit of beautiful surroundings, especially in the solar scene when it comes to competing with staying at home and shopping online. Mm -hmm. the example of the mall or staying at home and just learning there or staying mm -hmm. at home and listening to the music from the band instead of going to the concert yeah and what i think the benefit of having a an educational grounding of the outdoors is and that sense of aesthetics and the sense of wonder as you were saying mm -hmm. is that it teaches you how to build to complement nature mm -hmm. rather than to oppose it and i don't mean just to complement the landscape although i do mean that because so many landscapes are I think, kind of spoiled by ugly man-made buildings, mm -hmm. but also to complement our nature. Yeah. So maybe not everything should be a very square office. Yes. Is it any wonder that people want to work from home when the alternative is to go into this little cube, this little depressing cube, mm -hmm. and similar with, with school? Yeah. I, I really don't blame students for wanting to learn from home after they've gotten a taste from it because however... Um, messy their bedroom might be they probably prefer it to the classroom mm -hmm. just because the way the classroom is mm -hmm. for sure another thing i was thinking we can learn from nature is getting a bit more used to being uncomfortable and i think 
we don't we shouldn't aim for society to be uncomfortable but i do think we should be comfortable being outside when it's a bit cold when it's a bit rainy because in the solar scene there won't be cars so it's like you're gonna have to commute outside quite often there will be trains yeah there'll be trains there'll be be buses but i mean like People even, they don't want to take the bus because they have to walk two minutes to the bus stop. Mm. But I feel like if we're going outside every day at school for an hour or more, like as a part of the curriculum, you'll just know, just dress for the weather and be fine. But we're not, we're not used to it. When you're used to growing up with cards, you can wear skirts year round, shorts year round and just like never suffer because you just walk one foot to the car and go into a environmentally controlled building the air conditioning yeah and definitely not trying to design a solar scene that makes people uncomfortable mm-hmm. but making people comfortable with being uncomfortable yeah so a solar scene of resilient people mm-hmm. and i think not just temperature and weather but also our physiognomy physiology physiology Phys- physiology um being in nature is completely different from our physiology spending all our time in a man-made environment mm-hmm. because we would be sitting less on, yep. on chairs. We would not be, maybe we were going barefoot, maybe yeah. barefoot class. So our feet kind of develop normally. Mm-hmm. That'd be like great. Why, why do we push kids' feet into shoes? That should be a question for next week. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't get me started on that one. Yeah. Another thing I heard about outdoor education in like a natural environment is that just like on a playground when it's all concrete and like man-made jungle gyms, is that kids just get hurt way more because it's all just rock solid and like scratchy. But if you're out in the the woods, you might get like nicked by a thorn, but you're not going to have that nasty like concrete burn that you get. Yeah. I know that's like super simple, but it's like, that's a positive in the solo scene. Simple things are are the most uh, important ones because Mm -hmm. that's what people overlook so much. Like I didn't even think about playgrounds for this question. Yeah. But as you said, all they are is artificial recreations of... Mm -hmm. What already comes naturally to yes. So I think that's fascinating because I love playgrounds. Me too. But now that you mention it, it is like, why not just swing around on a tree instead? Yeah. And you could have swings and you could have like a pile of wood that the kids can use to build forts and ramps and stuff. But I think just a bit more dynamicness. Yeah. I've been thinking recently about the exams in university and how frankly, miserable they are because you're in a room with a thousand people <laughs> and for us, we were in a gym that was very hot. Yeah. The desk and chairs were creaky. There were a lot of just weird building noises. Mm-hmm. Smell was not so nice. It's true. And it was like, of course, we didn't write our best exam in that. Mm-hmm. But I didn't complain because everyone's writing it. Yes. But still, just for ourselves individually, if you had had to do your whole semester there, like learning there, mm-hmm. that would have been miserable. Yeah. So I thought for the solo scene, we could draw from our experiences of learning, reading, writing, absorbing outside. Mm-hmm. And for the next few minutes, maybe try to describe some Solacini learning settings outside. So we could start with just a classroom, maybe. Mm-hmm. What would an outdoor classroom in the Solacine look like? Because last week we did like an indoor classroom. Yeah. It depends. I mean, I don't see why we couldn't have actual just like desks and chairs built in outside really because i think sometimes it just is nice to like do the traditional classroom things outside but the nature classroom like where you go for the classes that are a bit more about being outside i just imagine it being a little trail with like some some logs that you can sit on 
maybe a little campfire keep you mm. warm if it's like rainy or cold or whatever and i do like when there's those little like lean to shelters to cover you a little bit from the rain okay i just imagine it being very natural and a bit rickety even if i know it's the solo scene it's like well why wouldn't you have like the nicest outdoor i just think there's something nice about being uncomfortable yeah and something I, something ideal about bonding it, yeah did you ever have an outdoor classroom we did but it was like a concrete kind of auditorium like it was oh like an amphitheater it was like an amphitheater yeah oh, that sounds nice though it was nice i think sure. that would be pleasant yeah our teacher would just do lectures out there then you'd be able to write um i think those are fun too to have i was thinking about at my old house with my family i had what i called the reading rock mm-hmm. which was for some reason there were these little rock stairs mm-hmm. they weren't real stairs but the rock had just been formed into stairs. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I would like walk up there and part some trees and there'd be just a rock. Mm-hmm. And it was not comfortable. It was very pointy. Mm-hmm. But I think in my youthful imagination, I tricked myself into thinking it was comfortable. Yes. And I would just sit there and read and write for a long time. Mm-hmm. And similar to what we were saying about music, it puts you in a flow state. Mm-hmm. I find when you're outside, it's easier. I mean, not with cars and everything running by. Mm-hmm. When you're outside in the quiet and there might be birds, there might be the wind. Mm. leaves rustling things like that that you, you do get into a kind of a kind of flow state mm-hmm. recently in montreal I'm, i've been really taken to go into the park to read or write mm-hmm. there's just something about being outside i find and i think it's the the movement the dynamism there's movement um in the sound and also in the sights yeah and it's this idea that you're an you're an observer mm-hmm. you're an active observer in the classroom where everything's the same every day, nothing ever moves. Mm-hmm. It's the definition of passivity, really. Yeah. I think. Yeah, because you want to be able to learn in all these different environments. We don't want to have kids, like, the classroom just like, okay, one day we're going to be playing really loud music. One day we're going to move our desks around. Like, that's just, like, it feels a bit too drastic, even the changes. And But it's, it's superficial and it's deliberate. Yeah. The thing with nature is that you're not in control of it. That's, mm-hmm. that's part of the beauty. But also, I think with these outdoor spaces, movement is really key to them. I think there's a joy to movement and it helps you remember things. It helps you learn. It encourages wandering and creativity mm. and the students to ask the question, what's this? In a yeah. classroom, why would anyone ever ask what's this after like eight months? Mm-hmm. But if you're outside, you genuinely can learn that. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking that our end end goal for the Solar Scene podcast is for it to be a walking podcast. Mm-hmm. So it's like both of us are walking and talking with microphones like that. Yeah. Because I find that conversations we have here are mildly stunted by the fact that I'm always waving my arms around, but ultimately glued to a seat. Mm-hmm. And there's been, I mean, that's been proven that walking just kind of, I think it's the rhythm of it. It just generates mm-hmm. thought, I think, in a more consistent and revelatory way sometimes. For sure. I feel like I never have anything new come to me on the podcast, but during that's... our evening digestion walks, I usually... <laughs> have something new come to me and I'm like, oh, wow, I'll say that on the podcast. Or, oh, wow, I never thought of that before. I'm going to do something new. Mm. Yeah. I also like the idea of it being a fully um, three-dimensional three-dimensional space. We've been talking about classrooms, which are just like one plane. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, ultimately, the kids are just sitting there anyway. But mm-hmm. if, there's, if you can move in any direction and you can also jump, you can also climb a tree. Yeah. I mean, this sounds chaotic, but I'm envisioning like, I don't know, we, we're going to go to our outdoor classroom, mm-hmm. but it's a few streets away or a few, um, yeah. it's a forest away. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. So first, we're going to walk here as a class. Yeah. And it might sound chaotic, but I think that that walk would be just as educational as the actual um, lesson that you're teaching in the amphitheater or the, the proper built classroom. I agree, because when you're in the classroom, kids, they're not having questions sparked unless you're almost facilitating the sparking of the questions. Yeah, so yeah. we're going to read this, then ask questions. If you're walking down the street, they see just like a guy mowing his lawn. They're like, how does a lawnmower work? Or just something. Like, kids have questions, but they don't have the opportunity to ask them or like the inspiration to ask them. I had a quote from Braiding Sweetgrass that I wanted to read. I feel like now is a good time. It says, Recent research has shown that the smell of hummus exerts a physiological effect on humans. Breathing in the scent of Mother Earth stimulates the release of the hormone oxytocin, the same chemical that promotes bonding between mother and child, between lovers, held in loving arms. No wonder we sing in response. So I feel like that ties in both things from the episode, but it's saying when you smell the ground, when you smell the earth, your brain is like, it literally changes the state of your brain into one of bonding and love and like excitement. And it also was from this chapter where it's talking about her students, they're going on a research trip to basically just collect samples from a forest, but she said usually they come out there, they've never been in nature before, like in a really raw and like risk-filled way. And by the end, they almost always are around the campfire, like singing and telling like folk stories in a way that they didn't at the beginning, because it just like being in nature evokes that creative and that open-minded response. So in other words, the aesthetics themselves kind of lubricate, excuse the Mm -hmm. word, um, a receptive mindset. Yeah. Whereas I think a lot of schools, what do they smell like? Like rubber? Burnt rubber. (laughs) (laughs) Burnt rubber meat sandwiches. Burnt rubber meat sandwiches. Yeah. It it, it lubricates, or it's anti-lubricant. Yeah. For education. I had two final thoughts regarding how nature and education kind of uh, mingle. One was that spending time outdoors helps um, teach how students should traverse the world with care mm. um, and move with grace, kind of like kind of like dance. There's a line in the opening poem for Soasin, mm-hmm. the poem, I call it. Yes. There was something like the Soasites, the people in that time, are... Uh, um, moving with humble color, treading as if they tread upon the faces of their mother. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember where I got that line from, but it was some, I think it's like an indigenous saying, or I, don't, I really don't remember where it came mm-hmm. from, but it was a reference. And it's something about, you know, littering is like an easy example. Mm-hmm. They, we wouldn't litter if we, if we had really grown up in the forest because you'd yeah. understand the effects of things. And that would translate mm-hmm. into how you navigated the man-made world. Yeah, for sure. Just the way we move, I think, even even something like that, the way we carry ourselves is, mm-hmm. is completely different when you're first outdoors and then all indoors. And the second thing is just one word, adventure. Yeah. It would create adventurous people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like adventurous people don't have to be those people who are globetrotting and, no. oh, I'm in France this week, I'm in Bali the next week. It's adventure just like... I'm going to read a bunch of different books. I'm going to meet a bunch of different people. I'm going to really invest in these relationships and developing them. And it's just adventure. I'm going to do things. Yeah. One adventure that I think we should talk about for next week is the rite of passage. Okay. What are the Soocene rites of passages? I think that's a fun idea. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe straying a little bit away from education, just talking about 
youth as a whole that question is mm. but can we can we kind of balance that with a, with a much more educational question for next week after reading that excerpt from writing sweetgrass and recalling when i read that book perhaps a question about indigenous ways of learning and just maybe like some because we talked about like the history of education like formally but maybe just some cultural traditions we can talk about songs we can talk about so what are some traditional ways of learning that aren't within the normal lineage sure i mean i don't really understand the question but i'm excited to spend a week trying to figure it out thank you thank you all listeners and viewers if you're here on youtube yes we apologize for not having video last week there was some kind of technical mix-up that we still don't understand it's true <laughs> but here we are in all our awkward glory yeah thanks, thanks for, for listening. listening bye